Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Dr. Cynthia Bailey. Dr. Bailey is a board-certified dermatologist in California with over 35 years of clinical experience. Over the course of her career, she's done over 200,000 skin exams. She founded Dr. Bailey Skincare in 2009 to make professional quality skin health and skincare information accessible to everyone, trusted physician skincare to help you love the skin you're in. Her practical skincare advice can be found on her website and blog at drbaileyskincare.com, across the web, and in numerous international print publications. Dr. Bailey is also a wife, mother, organic gardener, wellness expert, and breast cancer survivor. In the episode, she explains the most basic skincare routine everyone should be following, whether expensive brands and serums are truly worth it, what to look for in a sunscreen, and more. Before we get to the episode, I quickly want to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think that eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store. That is, until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive delivers groceries directly to your door, they're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I buy groceries on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per order, and I'm able to fill up my cart from the comfort of my couch. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Dr. Bailey. Enjoy! I'm Brooke Simonson, Certified Nutrition Coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Dr. Bailey. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. I look forward to this conversation. Awesome. Me too. I definitely could use some skincare tips myself, and I'm sure my audience could as well. I don't know if you're on TikTok at all? Are you, have you no. heard of TikTok? Or, yes, no. I've heard of it, but I'm not on TikTok. Okay. <laughs> okay. So no, but there are crazy I, things on TikTok. There are crazy things on TikTok. There are also some helpful things on TikTok. Mm-hmm. So I've found some dermatologists that I follow on mm-hmm. there and mm-hmm. I've been getting more tips and, you know, learning about skin routines and things. So that's been kind of an interesting thing for me to follow over there that's useful and not you know, a lot of the other craziness on there, but I'm excited to dive into this conversation today because I feel like dermatologist TikTok is very popular. So I'm sure a lot of the audience follows some of these people and has a lot of these same questions about skincare. Cool. 
Specifically, would you share what led you to become a board certified dermatologist? Well, it was a circuitous and winding path. When I was a kid, there is no way I would have foreseen that I was going to be a dermatologist. I, you know, didn't have any uh, physician mentors in my community. I didn't have female scientists in my community. And I really didn't, I mean, I didn't know what I was going to do. And then my mom got into nutrition and I read Adele Davis's book, uh, Let's uh, Eat Right to Keep Fit. I got like this bee in my bonnet that I was going to be a research scientist. I was going to get a bachelor's and then a PhD, and I was going to go into research for wellness and nutritional wellness. And then when I got into um, college, I ended up serendipitously volunteering in a hospital and got the medical school bug. So I switched from laboratory gold to clinical medicine. Then I got into medical school and went, whoa, what am I doing here? (laughs) I don't know what I want to do now. And so I, I, I kind of, you know, tried different hats on in medical school and I ended up on purpose having a baby my third third to fourth year of medical school and this is way back in the 80s so this is you know stone age stuff and the baby changed my daughter changed my view of what I wanted as a career so my senior year I took electives that all had nine to five you know I, I now started instead of looking at reconstructive plastic surgery where you're on call you know basically no work-life balance I took I took specialties with work-life balance and I found dermatology and it was like, oh my gosh, this fits me so well. You know, it has self-care through skin care because a lot of the problems in dermatology like eczema, dry skin, psoriasis, seborrhea, rosacea, acne happen because people are confused. People don't know what to do in terms of their skin care, which to me is self-care. And I just, it was an epiphany. I loved dermatology, but it's the hardest residency to get in of all residencies because Mm. it's a pretty, it's, it's nice. And so I hadn't prepared my application for dermatology starting with day one in medical school. So it was a scramble and, you know, guardian angels, bless you. I got into dermatology and then once I was in dermatology, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to do academic derm, go back, you know, bench research stuff. Because, you know, really at heart, I'm a science geek. So I'm a science geek and I want to prove stuff. I want to prove how, you know, the mechanisms of disease interplay and how we can fix it, again, through my wellness lens. And um, and I just... You know, one thing led to the next, and we decided not to live in a city, not to live near an academic institution. I moved, my husband and I moved the family up to Sonoma County, uh, wanting to live a more agrarian lifestyle. And I ended up as a private practice board certified dermatologist. And if you'd asked me when I was 13, if this was a possibility, I would have said, "Eh, no, I don't think so. (laughs) I think, yeah, not many of us are thinking too much about our skin at 13. Probably we should be. Well, acne, I mean, we do start getting obsessed with it and reaching for all those products. At the time, you know, it was Bonnie Bell 1006, Clinique's three-step system, um, Noxzema. So, you know, we were reaching for stuff like that and then, you know, going to a dermatologist and getting some prescription stuff. But I would have never said I would be a dermatologist. In fact, when I was in high school, I had a thing grow on my leg that they said was melanoma and they were going to cut my leg off. 
and it turned out it wasn't melanoma. They didn't cut oh my, my leg off. It was something sort of like that. But so I had kind of a negative experience with dermatology because they overread the slide. You know, they gave me a diagnosis I didn't have and they were going to do something drastic. And so if anything, I would have said I would have been averse to going into derm. But mm. here I am. That's terrifying. It's, that story. Well, in in in, count, in sort of a, the you know in corollary to that, it 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 taught me that you need to be really really good at what you do because what you do, even as a dermatologist, which some people would say is just a zit doctor. I mean, remember that Seinfeld episode where you know he was dating a dermatologist and and somebody <laughs> said, oh, it, it, that's not a real doctor, and then she sees a patient whose life she had saved. So you know it made me realize that I need to be excellent at what I do because what I do is going to have an impact on people's lives. And so, uh, you know, I think, I think I turned that into a positive. Yeah. And it really comes through when you're talking your energy and excitement for it. And in the end of the episode, we'll direct everybody to where they can find you, but just a little sneak peek. You have this incredible blog and this wealth of resources, resource online that you've created. Um, so everybody will be able to follow up with you there, but I would love just to start off and hear from you. What is the one or what are a few of the most common mistakes you see people making with skincare? Oh, I love this question. <laughs> I, love this. I mean, this is basically at the sort of the, the root of my career. So, you know, patient, one patient at a time, hearing their story, getting to examine their skin, putting the whole picture together, the, their story together. The, the number one, the number one um, uh, mistake people make is believing marketing claims on skincare products and thinking they're getting true science and the real story you know, kind of moving forward with that and then either messing up their skin or not addressing their skin in a, in a more kind of comprehensively healthy way. And then they end up in my office either with a rash or with the problem that didn't get better. And it's now my opportunity to sort of teach them. And I always would start, you know, with, I have, I would, I have a, um, a, a skin diagram that explains the structure of the skin. So I'm a structure and function gal, a basic science geek, structure and function. And I would give patients the talk on structure and function of their particular problem. So they begin to understand it, recognizing it's going to take me a number of, you know, pro going through this a number of times over weeks, months, years to get people really to, to kind of get it. But um, basically people come in, you know, believing what, what marketing um, stories are spun with products and either they don't get better or they get a, a side effect like, you know, an allergic contact dermatitis rash. So, mm. yeah. So marketing information is not our friend. Okay. <laughs> we'll start there. So that's okay. Um, but and then in terms of, I love hearing this for myself as well, because I've always gone to a dermatologist. I have very fair, freckly, moly yes. skin. So I'm the perfect candidate for yes. skin cancer. I've had so yes. many things biopsied. Uh, I usually go at least once a year, sometimes twice if they say they want to yes. see me again in six months. So that's usually the conversation I'm having with dermatologists. There's not much time left over for how can I make my skin vibrant and beautiful? It's more, right. what do we need to cut out of you this time? Right, <laughs> so it's right. this 
it's less kind of a fun visit, if you will. Um, so I'd love to hear from you. What's the most basic morning routine adults, let's say in 30s, 40s, 50s, I don't know if it changes by age, but should mm-hmm. be following to keep their skin healthy, youthful, and vibrant? Mm-hmm. Well, what I've done over the years is create skincare routines for people. And then I looked back at it and I saw there was a pattern. And so cleanse, correct, hydrate, protect. Four steps for your skincare routine during the day. At night, cleanse, correct, hydrate. And so what that means is in the morning, you pick a cleanser based on your skin type. So, you know, do you have sensitive skin? Do you have acne prone skin? Are you oily? Um, You know, what fits your skin in regards to your cleanser choice and don't overdo it. So a common mistake people make is over cleansing. So, you know, pick a, pick a cleanser according to your skin type, but it's not rocket science. It's you're just basically cleaning the canvas so that you can then put on your correcting products and your correcting products are where rocket science comes. That's where you're going to make a difference. Maybe it's glycolic acid. Maybe it's a prescription product. Maybe it's a hyaluronic acid serum, antioxidants, etc. So that's where rocket science comes in and you're putting that on a clean canvas for maximal percutaneous absorption. Then you seal that, you sort of seal the deal with your step that I call hydrate, which is where you're protecting your skin barrier. So your skin barrier is made of a brick and um, brick and mortar structure of keratin protein bricks mortared together by lipids. So you need to keep that structure strong or you will have increased water loss and excessive um, penetration of stuff like allergens and irritants, you'll end up with, you know, irritation, dermatitis, etc. So that's where you make certain that you're supporting your skin barrier. And then during the day, protect is ultraviolet protection. At mm-hmm. night, you don't need the ultraviolet protection, but again, you need cleanse, correct, hydrate. You don't want to sleep in the days, you know, product residue, pollution, bacterial accumulation, schmutz, you know, you want to get that stuff off. You don't want to like smear it all over your pillowcase and rub it in really well to your skin. (laughs) Then you want to put your correcting products on, which at night, for example, a retinoid is a great correcting product because it's obligated to be put on in the dark. And then again, seal the deal, you know, help maintain and or restore a, um, uh, a healthy skin barrier with your moisturizer. So Basically, cleanse, correct, hydrate, protect is the most basic routine that you want to use, and you want to customize it for your skin. You know, your cleanser for your skin type, your correcting products for your skin issues, your hydrate based on your, you know, skin oil, and sunscreen is, of course, you know, it, we all need it. That's something I've learned recently on the dermatologist yes. TikTok. Everybody's talking about sunscreen. Yes. And I feel like I grew up knowing about sunscreen because I grew up in Arizona and especially because of my fair freckly mm-hmm. skin. But I don't think I took full advantage for my face as much as I should have probably mm-hmm. throughout my 20s and early 30s, which yeah. it's probably going to come back to haunt me later in life. But I'm I'm using it now. I'm using the sunscreen every day now. Um, so what do you look for? Let's take each of those separately. You said be careful of marketing claims. Yes, so exactly. For cleanser, what do you look for in a cleanser? You said find one for your skin type, but right. how can you really know? And Or how can you tell if a cleanser is just trying to get you to buy it. Right. Well, they're going to tell you all sorts of stories about the flowers that are in it and, you know, 
that it does all these science things or has antioxidants in it, but basically you're washing it down the sink. So your cleanser is really supposed to just get the schmutz off. It's just supposed to get, you know, product residue, sebum, excess bacteria, maybe some dead skin cells off of your skin. If you have really, you know, oily, stubborn skin, you may want to do a second cleansing step with a toner to help degrease a little bit better. Um, but it's not rocket science. A cleanser, you know, I like pH balanced cleansers. If you feel after you use your cleanser that your skin is squeaky clean and tight, that's a hint that you've overdone it with your cleanser and you need to dial it back just a little bit. You want to feel clean, but you don't want to feel desperate to put your moisturizer on. Mm, okay. Um, are there some kind of oil-based cleansers? Do you mm -hmm. recommend those for some people or it just depends? So like dissolves like. And so if you have product residue on your face that has a lot of oil in it, and even the siloxanes like dimethicone, cymethicone, which are um, ingredients in our sunscreens and other products, oil will help you get that off. And so you can do a first oil cleanse. But I like after that a pH balance cleanser to lather up. And the and the pH balance cleansers are they're designed to have one end of the molecule grab oily stuff and the other end to grab water so that you can wash the oily stuff down the drain. And so I mm. like that after the oil cleanse step if you're gonna use an oil cleanse. Okay. And then you mentioned toner, but mm -hmm. you also mentioned pH balance in the mm -hmm. cleanser and Correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes toners are marketed to kind of bring your pH back exactly. after the cleanser. Do you have to use a toner or no? You don't. So a toner, toner is a very interesting word. Um, so toners were originally designed to correct the alkaline pH from natural soaps. Back in the day before we had pH balanced synthetic detergents or syndents, soaps were alkaline. The old fashioned soaps that you would buy and the natural soaps nowadays are alkaline. I, I like alkaline soaps, but it's not everybody's cup of tea and especially not sensitive skin. So the, the toner would bring the pH back to the more sort of acid mantle pH that is natural for your skin. Toners also have astringents in them that can contract pores a little bit like witch hazel, but they also mm. can act as degreasers. So really oily skin can benefit from witch hazel's ability to sort of you know, remove just a little bit more of stubborn product residue and oil. And you can tell because, you know, when you put a toner on, you're typically using a cotton ball and you can look at the cotton ball and see if it seems like it was soiled at all. And if it if it was, then, yes, you you did more cleaning with that toner. Mm, OK, good tip. Um, and then the correct part of it, you mm -hmm. mentioned some different serums you might want to use in the morning. Mm -hmm. How would you know which one to use for your skin type? Again, you you identify what your goals are and what your skin problems are. So, you know, let's take you for an example. So you've had a lot of sun exposure. You know, you're a fair-skinned person who was raised in Arizona. So that right there is a challenge. I like to say you were, you know, you, you sort of lacked the melanin for the migrational challenge that your yeah. ancestors, you know, <laughs> foist upon you by choosing to raise you in Arizona. And so you were not well adapted for that environment and you took in too much ultraviolet. And so, you know, you've, you've got some DNA damage from that. You've got some thinner skin from that. You've had more free radical damage from that. You're at risk for skin cancer because of that. And you've probably got some hyperpigmentation problems in addition to early fine lines and wrinkles. So you want to 
identify correcting ingredients that have proven benefit to counter those changes. So for you, a retinoid at night, because retinoids decrease collagen degradation, which happens, and they increase collagen synthesis, so that's gonna thicken your skin. They also help to thicken the epidermis, which is gonna make your skin um, stronger, and they will increase hyaluronic acid production in your skin to make your skin less crepey and wrinkled, and they reverse fine lines and wrinkles. And uh, retinoids also uh, even out pigmentary irregularities like freckling and stuff. You may also wanna use vitamin C, which is an antioxidant when used in a, uh, medical grade formulation, meaning a gnarly acid pH at a high concentration of vitamin C. You can stimulate collagen production and um, decrease hyperpigmentation. Green tea antioxidants, in my opinion, are the best antioxidants for skin health because they work really well for decreasing free radical damage, which is part of sun damage exposure, but also pollution, normal metabolic processes, a pro-inflammatory lifestyle, like when you sort of fall off the wagon and you suffer dietary indiscretions um, mm. of, you know, eating junk food and or stress. Um, the green tea counters that. So um, that's a great antioxidant to add in your correcting step. Hyaluronic acid will plump up crepey skin. That's a great um, addition to your uh, correcting step. And glycolic acid, which is an alpha hydroxy acid. Um, also does a lot of the things retinoids do. If you have acne, you would choose acne correcting products uh, to go in during your correcting step. And some of those that I mentioned, like retinoids and alpha hydroxy acids, work great for acne as well. But you may also want to add a benzoyl peroxide or salicylic acid. So, so you know, you target what are your problems? You know, do you, do you have acne? Do you have fungal acne, which is really a yeast acne? Do you have anti-aging concerns? Um, do you have rosacea? or seborrheic dermatitis. So what are your, you know, uh, problems that you want to reverse, address, control? Okay. And then do you use just one correcting? No, you can layer thing? them. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, you can layer them. Now, some can be, some can live, you know, in peace and harmony in the same bottle, but many of them uh, fight each other in the bottle, but they'll live in peace and harmony for eight to 12 hours on your skin. So oh. you can combine some of them. The one caveat is vitamin C. I like to call her a princess. She doesn't tend to play well with others. <laughs> so she has to go on by herself. But so, for example, I love to layer a hyaluronic acid serum. Then I layer my green tea product on top of that. And I may layer a glycolic on top of that or a retinoid on top of that, depending on if it's day or night. Oh, interesting. Bam, okay. bam, bam. I mean, it's like cooking, you know. Yeah. It's just like cooking. You, okay, you got to like know that. what does what. Right. Okay. So yeah, I just started using a retinoid. Actually, I probably should have also been using this for a long time, but I guess sooner is better than later. Yes. And it goes on at night because it's inactivated yeah. by light. Yeah. It goes on at night. Okay. So I've been doing, I've been doing the cleanse and then using the retinoid and then using a moisturizer. Perfect. But can you speak more about retinoids, retinols, the difference, what to look for in both? Mm -hmm. So I love retinoids. If I was stranded on a desert island and I had to pick just a few products, I would take my green tea and I would take a retinoid and a sunscreen. So oh. um, those are, you know, because you can clean yourself with water and sand or, you know, the, the rocket science isn't in, isn't in, um, isn't in uh, your cleanser. It's in your correcting products and your sunscreen. And that's where you should spend your money. So um, retinoids are vitamin A cousins. And okay. you've got, 
you've got um, retinol and tretinoin, which is retin-A, and those are really the best. You've got synthetic retinoids like um, uh, uh, um, Differin that's now available uh -huh. without a prescription. So, um, uh, and they all work with a retinoid receptor in the skin. The skin actually has a specific receptor for retinoids. The best science comes from Retin-A, which is also called tretinoin, and retinol. Retin-A being stronger, but retinol being easier to tolerate and available without a prescription. Hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one -on -one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently, feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. Now, back to the episode. Okay, so the retinols are the ones basically we're finding in the drugstore versus yes. retinoid is from a dermatologist? Um, retinoids is the family. So, so it's like they're oh, Smith. Oh, got it, got it. Yeah, retinoids okay. are, are like Smith. And then you've got, you know... Retinol is maybe Sally. Tretinoin <laughs> okay. is maybe, you know, I don't know, Cindy, you know. So, and then you've got other ones that are much weaker and have much um, uh, weaker science like retinol palmitate, retinol acetate, retinol linolate. I kind of say forget those. Look for retinol if you're shopping over the counter. Okay. You mentioned Differin, and mm -hmm. I had also heard that that one now, that's the one I've been using. It's mm -hmm. available not through a prescription. Right. Um, do you like that one for people that's just accessible in a yeah. drugstore? It's okay. It's better for acne in my experience. Um, okay. the science for the anti-aging benefits aren't quite as compelling to me as Retin-A or Retin-All. Okay. And so if you want the anti-aging benefits, try yes. to find one of those. And with Retin-All, you want 0.5 or higher. And some brands aren't going to tell you the percent because of the sort of FDA issue, but some brands will tell you. So you want to see a five, it's like 0.5 or a one. So 0.5 okay. or one percent. And can you find those in a drugstore or those you can't? You can't. Yeah, you can't. Oh, okay. Do you have any favorite brands of well, drugstore retinols? Well, I have mine, so I don't actually know the drugstore ones, but um, I like the La Roche-Posay company, oh, and, okay. I, and I know they have um, some medical-grade products, so I'll bet you they have a good one. I don't, okay. I, I don't know, though. I don't actually go shopping for them. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. We'll also link to your skincare in the show notes if people want to check that out. Yeah, I have a 0.5 um, and a 1%, and those are the ones I use. So I alternate... Um, on my lazy nights, I use my retinol, which is uh, I, uh, easier to use. And on nights when I'm feeling really virtuous, I use prescription tretinoin, also called Retin-A. And the reason uh, it takes a little more effort to use the prescription one is 
I have sensitive skin, so I have to um, wash my face, towel it off, put anything else on, including a moisturizer, and wait 15 or 30 minutes afterwards before I put my Retin-A on or else I get really irritated. And that is a trick I've written about for years on my blog. And probably one of, probably the most popular article on my blog is how to use Retin-A for anti-aging and acne. And I learned, you know, I've, I've seen so many patients over the years and most of my patients have sensitive skin. So I've learned how we can be successful with Retin-A and with glycolic acid. And there are tricks to getting somebody with sensitive skin to be able to tolerate these powerful products. And so, um, so that waiting 15 minutes is important for sensitive skin people with retinol. It doesn't matter at all. You can oh, wham, okay. wham, bam, wash your face, put your retinol on, stick your moisturizer on, go to bed. So then easier. you do, yeah, so then you do, or maybe for somebody listening with sensitive skin, I have sensitive skin myself, so you yes. do cleanse, moisturize, wait 15 minutes, yes. then for correct, the yes. and do you put more moisturizer on after that? No, or? because the Retin-A is in a moisturizing base. Got it. So okay. with Retin-A, there's that one unique aspect, and the reason I put the moisturizer on before the Retin-A is because waiting 15 or 30 minutes um, in bed without anything on my skin just doesn't feel good. So, yeah. Okay. Cause I've even noticed with the different that I think my skin's very sensitive or maybe cause I just mm-hmm. started using it literally two weeks ago. So oh, yeah. isn't there kind of a time yes. you have to get used to it? Yes. You're in the retinoid dermatitis phase, which is the break-in phase where your skin is starting mm-hmm. to sort of remodel itself and you often get peely and you can back off. And so you don't have to go full steam ahead and turn into a peely mess that you have to explain <laughs> to people. You can actually skip a night or two. So I use, you know, I would start people on Retin-A every third night for a couple weeks, then every other night, then every night, if for any reason your skin becomes irritated, peely, whatever, you have a facial or whatever, you know, your skin's just cranky, you back off, don't use it until your skin is normal again, and then you, you know, kind of sneak back up on it. There's no reason, if you put a retinoid on peely and irritated skin, it's like sticking lemon juice on a cut. So you just Uh, back off, let it simmer down, let your barrier get back into good shape, and then you, you know, go forward again. Okay. Well, this is good. We're having this conversation because Timely. I'm very much an all or nothing person and yes. I was using it and then it was feeling a little weird in the daytime and kind uh-huh. of getting a little flaky. And then I was like, I gotta keep going with this. Right, but... right, right. I just, I have to persevere. No. And you can <laughs> yeah. also look at your face regionally. So there are parts of your face that are going to be crankier and more sensitive and you can just skip those areas. Like I almost never put Retin-A around my nose. Uh, it hmm. just, you know, my nose, my seborrheic dermatitis will, it will, it will trigger my sebderm or my rosacea. So I can put it on the sides of the, you know, all the areas we get our sun damage, but we don't really get that wrinkly on our nose. So I'm good with that, you know? So, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. And I, and point. I kind of also want to just say, I tell people, you know, you should always be sleeping with a retinoid. So, you know, again, if I'm stranded on a desert island, I want my retinoid. So whether it's retinol, different or uh, retin-A, I want my retinoid to keep my skin, you know, not um, thinning and, uh, kind of on the trajectory of a, yeah, I was a sun tanner up until yeah. I, you know, was in dermatology. So I have the same trajectory. And okay. I think a lot of us yes. at this point are looking back and yes. I was thinking, um, my sister-in-law is very young. My husband's the eldest of seven kids. So she just graduated from high school oh. and I was thinking, what can we get her as a gift? And oh. I was like, I should buy her a really good sunscreen yes. and you know, like a facial yes. uh, yes. system to start using yes. at 18 so that 
Yes. I mean, who knows if she'd actually use it, but that was my first thought of like, yes. start this young. <laughs> yes. Get them on it young. So I have a, I have a great story of a patient that I'd seen through her teen years for acne and I got her on retin-A at night, got her on acne routine, got her using sunscreen. And then I saw her, you know, I saw her a lot when she was younger and then she went away to college, had a life, came in and saw me when she was turning 39. I did not recognize her. She looked 10 years younger than her stated age. And and she said, I'm turning 39 today. And yesterday I got a pedicure for myself and the gal could not believe I was 39. She thought I was in my twenties. And she said, Dr. Bailey, it's because of you know, you put me on the retin-A, you put me on the sunscreen, you taught me how to take care of my skin when I was in my teens, and I've been doing the same thing ever since, which brings me to, again, that big mistake. We believe the marketing claims, and we play with our skincare like it's something to be played with. And no, it's it's like a good diet, you know, a foundation of a good and healthy diet where you want a foundation of science-backed skincare that fits your skin and then if you want to try a new product for entertainment value, okay, but don't stop the good stuff. Stay on okay. the good stuff. Yeah. Wow. That's a cool story. So it, it goes to show that this is, this would be a good yeah, gift then. It <laughs> would be. And especially, I can just gift her this podcast episode. <laughs> yes. Well, and, and with a mentor, like if you got her a facial, a really good person that's going to teach her how to take good care of her skin, not play with all the silly little, you know, myths that are out there. You know, one of my favorite myths is citrus. So you know, in prepping for your podcast, I citrus, I have a bee in my bonnet over citrus because I'm I'm allergic to it. And so, you know, I looked up, you know, what what are the benefits of citrus for your skin? And it, it, this company Google's up number one and it says, you know, um, vit- uh, citrus is filled with vitamin C, which is an important antioxidant, boost collagen synthesis, etc. So they're making the connection between citrus and vitamin C. And then in their most popular serum, they've got a ton of citrus in there. And they've also got some vitamin C and real stuff in there. But then they've got pictures of their serum with oranges, beautiful photography. And what they're doing is they're bringing you in with citrus is good for you. Citrus has vitamin C and and the benefits of proven, some of the proven benefits of vitamin C. But you're not necessarily getting that in that serum, which is filled with citrus, which is going to give you ultimately an eventual rash to citrus on your skin and job security for me. (laughs) So, well, that's the highlight, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, always try to see the glass half full, I guess. <laughs> that's really funny. What about, um, what should we look for? You've mentioned a couple things about sunscreen, but what should we look for in a sunscreen? SPF 30, broad spectrum on the front of the label, and pure mineral protection with zinc being the primary mineral in your sunscreen. Okay. So the, that's pretty easy then. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the chemical sunscreens. Chemical sunscreens break down when the light hits them. They're absorbed through the skin. You have to redose them every two hours because they're gone. You're supposed to redose all sunscreens every two hours, but the chemicals you absolutely must. You can never Mm. fail to redose because you basically lose them. As they protect you, they break down. So I prefer mineral protection. And it's also your friend if you have sensitive skin because the chemicals stink. Right. Yeah. Um, and what I have experienced through mineral sunscreen is sometimes it can have that white tint. Mm -hmm. So tell me if this is okay. I just found a mineral based sunscreen. I think it's CeraVe. Mm -hmm. It's 30 at the drugstore, but it's tinted. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of mix some of that with another mineral sunscreen. So it's not too tinted, but layer them. So, so what you do, so with sunscreen, 
protection is dose dependent. Sunscreen is a drug and mm -hmm. protection is dose dependent. And so for your face, for example, you need, you know, depending on the size of your face and, you know, it's sort of your face in the front of your neck, you need about a third of a teaspoon. So I like people to go get a teaspoon and actually blob their sunscreen into it and kind of get a sense for what a third of a teaspoon is. You know, if you have a bigger face or recession of your hairline, you have to use more. If you're, you know, you're going to hear people say, use, I think it's a full teaspoon for your head and neck, but that's if you're bald and you're not, mm. you know. So yeah. <laughs> I tell people about a third of a teaspoon for their face. And, and so you've got to put enough of it on to get the full SPF out. And then what I do, for example, is I take a water resistant one and put that on first. And there's a little bit of opalescent mineral pallor to it, you know, a little bit of, not much. You just, you also have to keep rubbing to get the sunscreen mineral particles to go into all the little sort of folds of your skin um, mm -hmm. because they tend to clump together at first and you want to get them to dissipate out in a fine layer. And you'll notice as you keep rubbing, they get better. Then right. you take a tinted one and or a skin bronzer and you put it on top. So if your sunscreen, if you don't want to put another layer of sunscreen on and you've put enough of your kind of white one on you can put a bronzer on but i just take a tinted sunscreen and put it on top okay that's a good idea i yeah. should just do that then do all the whole face in the mineral super protective one and then yes. the tinted one on top yes um and, I and don't then put, do you have to reapply ideally you're supposed to reapply every two hours uh, uh do we <laughs> How I mean, I don't. Do? No. <laughs> no, the easiest way to reapply your sunscreen, if you're really, really out there, the easiest way to reapply is with a powdered sunscreen. So that's where powdered mm. sunscreens came in. You never use them as your primary sunscreen because how do you know if you've got a third of a teaspoon on there? You have no idea. Mm -hmm. And that brings you to spray sunscreens. How do you know if you got a third of a teaspoon of spray sunscreen on? Well, you put it in your palm and from your palm, you put it on your face. You never spray sunscreen in your face. That would be a really bad idea. And whenever you use a spray sunscreen, you always have to rub it in because it goes on in little splotches and you have yeah. to smear. So, um, so, and the other thing about sunscreen is it's not your primary method of sun protection. Sadly, no, you need mm -hmm. to wear a hat. You need to try to be in the shade. You need to cover as much of your skin with sun protective clothing, which can be regular garments. Um, but, you know, you don't want you don't want to go out in a bikini and your sunscreen and think you're good. You just don't. Yeah. I've become that person on the beach who's basically never in a swimsuit and just under an umbrella and yeah. with a hat on. And <laughs> I'm wearing yeah. long sleeves at the beach because I'm yeah. so sick of, especially for my skin, trying to reapply as much as I would need totally. to. It's, it's such an, a hassle. <laughs> it's an ounce per application for the average human adult body in a swimsuit. Every two hours, that's, um, a, that's a four ounce container a day. Yeah, One ounce per application. And, you know, that's a lot. And that's a lot of chemical exposure. You know, you are absorbing the chemicals if you're using a chemical sunscreen. And the cheap sunscreens are chemical. And the FDA did a study, you know, have do, has done recent studies showing it's bad. They didn't expect people to use as much sunscreen when they back a long time ago when they determined sunscreen safety. And now mm -hmm. they're going back and having to rethink. And the only generally recognized as safe sunscreen ingredients are zinc and titanium. Okay, interesting. Okay, yeah. so broad spectrum, at least 30 zinc. primary ingredient being zinc. zinc. Yeah, okay, and the other ingredient, based. titanium. And just forget the chemical ones. Just forget them. Put them out of your mind. 
Okay. What about an eye cream? Is that all hype or is that? No, I love eye creams. So eye creams, the thing about eye creams is your eye skin is unique and you have an opportunity and you also have pitfalls. So your eye skin is the cells are bigger. They are on there longer, but the skin is really thin. So they're super filled. They're big, giant keratin blobs filled with protein and they lose the skin loses more water so that's why it gets crepey and wrinkly and crinkly and looks bad your eye skin also um, can get really edematous if you're not taking good care of yourself if you're sick your blood flow under there can give you those circles under your eyes and a really good eye cream will counter all of that with just the right amount of ingredients to not cause eyelid dermatitis so like if you put your full-on different or retin-A on your eyelid skin, ouch, you're probably going to yeah. get irritation. But if you use an eye cream with retinol, just the right amount of retinol in it, you may be able to tolerate it. And you can also include ingredients that decrease edema, increase lymphatic drainage, have hyaluronic acid to plump up um, a crepey skin, have the right amount of ceramides to increase the barrier function so you don't have as much transepidermal water loss. So you have opportunities in an eye cream. So I love eye creams. I use an eye cream every day. When would you put that on? Is that in the correct Correct. Step? Correct. Okay. And it also has high, typically <clears throat> an eye cream also has hydrate in it. So sometimes a product will serve two functions. Usually they're, in fact, always, I mean, some people will claim they're not adjacent, but they're typically correct and hydrate. So you may have a cream that has really good corrective ingredients, but also is in a nice hydrating base. And you may have an eye cream with good corrective ingredients that's also in a hydrating base. So I don't typically top my eye cream with a moisturizer. because mo- And okay. also a good eye cream is a good base for your makeup. You don't want smearing makeup all over your face. Right. Smearing okay. eye makeup. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, I, in doing research for this episode, I came across so many of your incredible blog posts and I was reading a lot of them, but in one on natural skincare, Mm -hmm. you wrote blend natural products into a routine with professional skincare products and get the best from both science and nature. Can you elaborate on that? And specifically, what's the difference between natural skincare and typical products in terms of ingredients and efficacy? So this is, this It's a great question because this is actually sort of the essence of my approach to uh, creating a a, a wholesome skincare routine. So natural products are really... There's no there's no hard and fast definition, but natural products in the on the label, you should really just see natural stuff. So you should see, you know, coconut oil, shea butter, jojoba oil, rosehip, palm in a soap there will be um it will be saponified with lye but basically you should it should read kind of like a recipe like you could cook it then there'll be a little preservative at the end so that you don't have to keep it in the fridge but um and that it will you know preserve better than um foods but um but it should it should read like a recipe um so if you're seeing things like ceramides in a product that says it's natural well that's actually a a um uh, a science derived product. So that's not actually really natural. So in the products that you use in large volumes, like your body cleanser and your body moisturizer, 
I like to see those be as natural as possible. I don't like to see artificial fragrances in there, which often have phthalates in them, which are super bad for us and the environment and accumulate in aquatic ecosystems. We get them back in our drinking water. They're just, you know, so in products we use in large volume that don't have rocket science, meaning, you know, high, um, uh, clinically proven, um, uh, high powered actives, why not use a natural product? So like a natural body oil or body lotion or body butter, a face oil, um, a uh, natural shower gel, those are great places to put natural products in. Then um, with our face, the cleanser on our face, if you don't have sensitive skin, you can use a natural cleanser. By definition, it's going to have an alkaline pH and you're going to need that toner to bring your pH back. Um, but if you have sensitive skin, like it sounds like you do and I do, I use a pH balance cleanser. That's not natural. It's mm -hmm. just not. It's, te it's just technically not. An, in my definition of natural, it's not a natural product. And if somebody says it is natural, mm, it's a synthetic detergent. The word syndit, synthetic, kind of right there tells you it's not a natural product. And, and your correcting products are, again, the best science in your correcting products um, comes from things that are lab-based. You know, your retinoids are not natural. Um, vitamin C in um, a highly acid pH, you got to have science to make that. Mm -hmm. So those are not natural products. You've got, you know, ideally you want, an, you know, a lab with, you know, FDA accreditation and, you know, um, uh, you basically need a scientist to make those really high powered actives. And then sunscreen, you just can't have a natural sunscreen. So a natural sunscreen would be zinc chalk. <laughs> or mud but you know zinc chalk in a greasy base and you're not going to wear it you're just not going to wear it right so, so that word is thrown around so much yeah, and it's not regulated enough so it's not no. yeah so do the best you can like you're saying with yeah. uh body moisturizer yeah like but I wanted then... to make a, fa a natural face moisturizer with ceramides in it but the minute I stick ceramides in there my integrity can't allow me to call it natural because technically the ceramides are isolated you know you buy them from a supplier you mix them into a pro it's not natural it's right. natural to take aloe vera it's natural to take you know coconut oil shea butter those are natural products but ceramides no okay but then stick with the retinoid like with yes. those science products that are going to yes. truly improve your skin yes stick with those. Yes. Okay. You mentioned vitamin C and I had seen somebody else say this as well, probably on this dermatologist TikTok I follow, but uh, they were saying most vitamin C serums are just a waste of money yes. because they're not Yes. like you're saying, how do you determine if one is actually worth it? Uh, when you stick it on a cut, it needs to sting because that oh. means it has an acid pH of three, which is pretty much what you need for a vitamin C product to do its magic. So the magic that gets touted with vitamin C is that it's gonna stimulate collagen. So it's mm -hmm. going to help collagen renewal. It's gonna deal with hyperpigmentation and it's gonna be a powerful antioxidant. Well, it can be an antioxidant and not be you know, as gnarly, it, it, you know, in fact, adding vitamin C to a sunscreen is a nice way to get a different, a little bit of antioxidant uh, support to your sun protection. But um, if you're using vitamin C as a real expensive correcting product, it needs to sting. It needs to be gnarly. It's not going to be tolerated by most people with sensitive skin. And most formulators aren't going to formulate to that because it's not going to be an easy win with consumers. You're going to get people complaining that their skin got irritated and rightfully so. 
So, you know, they're making consumer friendly products for mass consumption without education. So because the consumers aren't going to learn that, you know, you need a pH of three to stabilize L-ascorbic acid and you've got to have, uh, you know, a content of 10 or 15 percent. They're just and then it has to be in a, um, a oxygen free container. The minute you open that expensive vitamin C serum and you start to see it turning amber, that's an indication of oxidation, meaning your vitamin C, that expensive product is dying. And in uh. fact, the leading vitamin C serum maker knows it, and they actually kind of, uh, if you read the way they talk about it, that's what vitamin C does, you know, and yes, it's what it does as it dies. So you're huh. spending, you know, $270 for something that's going bad the minute you take the top off, and every time you apply it, it more of it's going bad because it's in contact <laughs> with air. It's just um, not worth it in my opinion. Would you say a lot of the expensive upper end skincare products are not worth the money and you could get the same yeah. bang for your buck with Yeah, I think classic and, really? and this is where, you know, you, you you know your podcast is called Health Investment. Well, this is where the investment comes in. It's an investment in learning and you do kind of have to know that a lot of the you, you have to know what works where the science mm-hmm. is proven, where it's not, in what's proven, what are the, you know, like with vitamin C, what are the criteria? Well, it has to be a gnarly acid pH and it has to be a high amount of vitamin C in a stable formulation in an airtight container. Um, the marketers aren't going to tell you that. You know, you need to know that your retinol needs to be 0.5 or 1% and that it goes on at night. Um, so that's where the investment comes in. You need to learn what works and then you can kind of filter out all the other stuff, which is just a lot of pretty stories and pretty pictures. I love that. Yeah. Um, and that's actually perfect. Cause I was going to ask you, what does it mean to make the health investment? And you kind of just shared mm-hmm. invest in the science, basically in the research and mm-hmm. figure out what you're doing and determine where your money is best spent. Yeah. For your skin. Cause everybody's goals are different. Everybody's skin is different. And what one person needs, you know, if you have rosacea, you've got a completely different skincare journey than if you have, you know, tough skin, that's just sun damaged, or you've got acne prone skin. So you have to, you have to spend the time to understand what your goals and problems are, and then figure out where the proven ingredients are and how to find the best proven ingredients. So you get, somewhere with your skincare and then it becomes a wellness, you know, a, a self-care wellness. It's not, you know, healthy skin is beautiful skin and you can't mm-hmm. go for the goal of being beautiful. You have to go for the goal of being healthy. Right. I love that. And that's well, where the, you are, what you eat thing comes in, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, you're not going to have beautiful skin and, and eat really a crummy diet because you know, like if you look at who's how people look when they're pushing what in their shopping carts at the grocery store you'll you'll if you take that time you'll begin to see a correlation you know whose skin looks vibrant and beautiful whose skin looks sallow you know who's got acne who's got you know you you see a correlation and and um and then you follow the science on that you know with your particular skin problem what are the dietary recommendations yeah usually a lots of antioxidant foods and low glycemic Well, everything was so great. I know my mind is blown. Maybe I should, maybe in another life I was a dermatologist or I don't know. I'm so fascinated by this stuff now. It's like I know. my favorite thing to talk about in research. So 
maybe in my past life or maybe my next life, I'll be a dermatologist, but not that it's easy by any means. I don't want to. No, but <laughs> it's super fun. And you it don't. It seems really fun. Yeah. And you don't need an endoscope to see it. It's all right there. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I am so grateful to have had this conversation with you. And can you share for people where they can find your products and your blog and just connect with you off air? Yes. So I have a website that I started in 2009. I was the very first drbaileyskincare.com. I'm the first longest running dermatologist that actually blogs. I write everything myself. And so mm. if you read it, I wrote it on my website. Then on Facebook, um, Dr. Bailey Skincare, also Dr. Cynthia Bailey. It's sort of, you know, you'll get there both ways. Um, on Facebook, Instagram, Dr. Bailey Skincare, Pinterest, at hmm. C Bailey MD and YouTube, Dr. Bailey Skincare. Oh, wow. YouTube as well. You're everywhere. Well, I, I have been everywhere. I'm not on TikTok, nor will I go on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Don't go on there. That's, it's a whole black hole. Don't. It's for younger people, I tell you. I'm 64. I'm not going to be on TikTok. Well, I'm impressed that you are, you have a fantastic blog, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube. I mean, that's pretty impressive. So. Yeah. No need to add more social media to well, that. <laughs> no, and I, you know, I mean, I've been passionate about empowering people with knowledge in dermatology because I've been so, with my patients, you know, I've just been so incensed by people making mistakes because of marketers just kind of preying on them. And that is what started Dr. Bailey Skincare. So I'm like, I've, you know, one patient at a time, or I can scale with the internet and reach people and bring sort of this sort of common sense approach to how to untangle all the information and create a skincare routine that, you know, fruits for you. Well, and that's great. And I'm so excited to send people as well to your website for that. So if you heard all of this and you're feeling overwhelmed, like <laughs> I am a little bit, just go because you've done the research and, you know, you know, all of yeah. the ways different uh, products interact and yeah. the pieces of them. So you've done, you've put it yes. all together in your own skincare line. Yes. So. And I have kits. So again, I create kits to take the guesswork out of it for people. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the things I do nutrition coaching and that's what people often come to me for. Same, like you've been talking, same type of thing of just mm -hmm. tell me what works. Tell me what I can ignore. Let me just focus on these few things instead of Googling for the rest of my life and totally. <laughs> like having analysis paralysis. Totally. Totally. And yeah. getting information that works at cross purposes. Yes. Yes. Totally. Well, I could talk to you all day, but in respect of your time, I'm going to sign off and I just thank you so much again for everything Aww. you shared with us today. Thank you, Brooke. It's been a lot of fun. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the health investment podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.